Today on We Hear, Demi Moore's new memoir is a bombshell. We'll learn details about Ronan Farrow's sit-down with Matt Lauer's accusers. And Miranda Kerr's got some weird wellness techniques, but she's not the only one. Oh my god. We're on page six? Yeah. Uh No. Yeah. Another divorce splashed across page six. Page six would have a field day. Hey there, I'm Maggie Coglin, And I'm Ian Moore. And welcome to We Hear, the Page Six podcast. We hear all the celebrity dirt from our exclusive stories, and you hear the story behind the story. Hey, Ian, what's going on in your corner of Page Six? My corner? Yeah, you know. This makes it sound so small oh, and sad. Sorry. It's no, more like your like world, a, I, your worldview. <laughs> no, it is a corner. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on that I'm looking forward to. Like the Irishman is opening the New York Film Festival, but you can't watch it. It's actually going to just be on Netflix. You can stay in your corner and watch um, the Irishman. Um, What are you looking forward to? As you know, I'm a diehard Housewives fan. Yes, yeah, so you I, you have your own Housewives show. I do. It's called yeah. Housewives Hangover. I invite you all to watch it. <laughs> Shameless plug. But this week we got two trailers for Real Housewives of New Jersey and Real Housewives of Atlanta, which are some of my favorites. Wow. And what's happening on the New Jersey? Is <sighs> what, what's going what on with Teresa happening? and Joe? And- so Joe Judice. This week we ran a story that he has asked to be sent back to Italy, despite before kind of saying, I've got kids here, I've got a wife. Now he's like, I don't want to be held by ICE anymore. Just send me back so I can make money for my family. I've also asked to be sent back to Italy, although I'm not Italian. (laughs) But I've been to Italy and I want to go back. Yeah, take me where the pasta (laughs) is, people. So yeah, I'm pretty hyped about that. And then in Atlanta, we're seeing like a lot of tears. There's like everybody's having problems with their relationship. NeNe Leakes is talking about an open marriage. Kenya Moore, who we reported recently, has gotten divorced, is crying in front of a lawyer. I'm like, give it to me. This is amazing. This is crying in front of a lawyer. Yeah. Huh. Remember we wrote about her on the Tamron Hall show? Yeah. I only do that at Passover. <laughs> um well, I'm looking forward to, you know what I was looking forward to is the the new Kanye West album, oh, yeah. which was meant to drop on Friday, but he missed the deadline. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw that. But um, the thing is, I was surprised because all these fans came out and commented like, I stayed up all night waiting for the Kanye thing and they were all so bummed. But it's like, obviously, he's not going to make the deadline for the album release, mm-hmm. right? Because A, he's Kanye. B, it's all sort of like electronic. I mean, now it's like an album release date doesn't seem to make any sense mm-hmm. anymore because it's like they just hit like what what's the button they hit F12 or something and then and then <laughs> release it, album go yeah Ooh. that's at shift is this is shift F12 <laughs> but the um so you just release the album or like a lot of artists like Beyonce will just release an album like you didn't even know they had an album and then like it's just suddenly released right but I'm like we just found out he was planning on dropping this album yeah the thing is also see Maggie I knew that he wouldn't hit the release date because I remembered I mean it's a little early in the show to do a vault but this is not a vault honorary um, I remember th- there was an item that we did when he was releasing his album Yeezus. Mm-hmm. This album is called Jesus is King, but this but in 2013 he was out to release Yeezus. And when you reported that, he was driving Def Jam crazy with last minute requests and the album um wasn't going to come out on time mm-hmm. and he still had like you know, he hadn't written the lyrics to the album. And so basically with just two weeks to go before the album came out, he brought in Rick Rubin yep. as executive producer. And Rick Rubin took took him, took Kanye to his place in Malibu 
to like basically just try to record the rest of the album in in two weeks and race to record it. And I remember at the time when we reached out to Kanye's team, you know, saying we hear the album's a disaster, it's a mess, you know, he hasn't recorded, you know, because he had spent months in Paris recording. And then it was like now he was in Malibu trying to record it in two weeks. We actually, they sent us a video. Um, Kanye sent us a video of him of himself at Rick Rubin's beach estate in Malibu at his beach house, rap like laying down tracks. That, I don't. <laughs> you I don't. Said know, that so I, naturally, I, I like you have an album. With, I don't know. I don't about. know if you how involved you are with the music business <laughs> like I am, but was laying he on the ones a, and the twos? I don't or? know who was on the ones and twos, but Kanye kind of like we he put us in our place a little bit because what he was rapping, like it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of like, oh, whatever. Like the album will be late or he's recording it in like the last two minutes before they hit shift F12 and release it. But like, it's going to be amazing. So I think the album will still be good. With that album too, he was trying to clear some rights to an obscure gospel choir song. And Mm -hmm. like the, the label wasn't sure if he'd get the rights in time. So this album, he's been recording in Wyoming. Right. And who knows, you know, what he's trying to get together. But Kim Kardashian says it's coming out. We can only hope. Well, let's get into our first story. In April, actress Demi Moore announced that she was working on her memoir, titled Inside Out, which to us sounded like it would be another run-of-the-mill celebrity book. But now the book is out, and we have learned that nothing is off-limits. Demi wrote candidly about her struggle with drugs and alcohol. She wrote about being sexually assaulted and her troubled life as a child. But the juiciest parts of this book are by far her relationships with other celebrities. I cannot tell you how fast I ran to the bookstore to get a copy of this. This book is so good. I mean, the thing I think people were surprised about in the newsroom with this book is that before the book came out, some of the details had leaked. And it was a little bit sketchy, like, where did this come from? And initially, the stories that leaked online were that she accused Ashton Kutcher of pressuring her into three ways, Mm -hmm. right, with other women, and that she went along with it to seem fun. He was a lot younger than her, but that later on when he cheated on her, he used the fact that they had been in these three-way situations as uh, as like license to cheat, right? Yes, that's exactly what she said. And then more explosive stories kept coming out. But as you mentioned, once once we had the book, the thing that they came away with after reading it beyond all these amazing stories that we ended up writing out of the book was that it's actually really, really good. Like yeah. it's really well written and it's a yeah. it's a good book. I mean, you know, there's a lot to say about a celebrity memoir. They're a dime a dozen. Everyone seems to be writing them. But this is written incredibly well, which is because it's co-written by Ariel Levy. Right. So basically, that's the thing is on the cover of the book, it just says Demi Moore. It doesn't say co-written with Ariel Levy. But in interviews, Demi Moore has actually been pretty open that Ariel Levy was the co-writer. She's been a staff writer at The New Yorker for over 10 years, Mm -hmm. and she's like a very serious writer. You know, she wrote the book, but Demi Moore sort of went, Demi Moore told her, you know, the stories, and then Aria Levy wrote the book, and Demi Moore painstakingly, she says, went over sort of every line in the book. She was actually smart enough to to 
hand it over to a really great writer right. is Who's very impressive. Right, who's written really beautiful stuff about traumatic experience she's suffered. Like her book, I believe it's called The Rules Do Not Apply, is a breathtaking memoir. It is incredibly well done. But another thing about Demi Moore is that it humanizes her in a way you wouldn't believe, aside from the threesomes with Ashton Kutcher, and she writes about you know, having sex with John Cryer when he was 19 and she was 21. She recounts being engaged to Emilio Estevez in 1985, which is something I was not aware of because I was born that year and I was not <laughs> reporting on this stuff. I was a very big Emilio Estevez fan. I had a Repo Man poster on my wall. Ooh. Yeah. And I really always wanted to get one of those like ear, like an earring with a little cross dangling from it, but I never <laughs> got my ear pierced. There's still time. So what she writes about is that they dated for only six months and then they got engaged. She moved in with him and she talks about meeting the Sheen family, which technically is the SFS family, but Martin Sheen, Charlie Sheen, their mom, and how acting to her was a job, but to them it was really a craft and how she learned so much from them. But something that's really interesting is that she writes about Charlie Sheen in such a beautiful way as this complex kind of interesting soul who channels it all into his acting, which is, you know, a take that not many people have. Yeah. And then her husband, Ashton Kutcher, replaced Charlie Sheen on Two and a Half Men and that complex, nuanced acting that he did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so back to Emilio. They date. They're together from, I guess, 1985 to 1987. They get engaged. And a friend calls Demi Moore to tell her she has seen Emilio out with another woman. Demi confronts Emilio. And it turns out that he has cheated on her with an ex-girlfriend and gotten this ex pregnant. So Demi Moore is seeing... I believe she's seeing a therapist. She's seeing some kind of counselor. And the counselor is like, listen, if you marry this guy, he's going to ruin your life. She has this huge decision. Does she take him back? She stayed friends with Emilio. And she joined him at a premiere for a movie called Stakeout a few months after they broke up. And she writes that it turned out to be like a very important night in her life because that was when she met a very hot young actor named Bruce Willis. I like how you say Stakeout, like a movie, some movie called Stakeout. It's like Emilio Estevez and Richard Dreyfus. Like in my mind, Stakeout, like, did you ever go to like Blockbuster? Yeah. Was that area? But when they had VHS tapes yeah. or were you Wait, DVD? what did they have afterwards? They had DVDs? I don't know. But basically to me, like I see Stakeout and it's just like, a, right. it's it's a it's a current VHS rental option. For it was me, always there. I'm like, mm, I should make a steak tonight. <laughs> The one thing that'll be interesting to see, though, Maggie, is where this book lands on the bestseller list. Mm. And the reason I'm wondering is because it is a good book, as we've mentioned. It is well-written, but a lot of the juiciest details are out there and have been online. So are people going to be compelled to read the book? You know, if they're listening to this podcast, I say buy it. It's pretty good, and it's easy reading, well-written. And, like, we haven't heard that much from her, and this is kind of her reemergence back into the spotlight. If you're listening, Emilio. <laughs> Didn't he become, like, a winemaker? He is a vintner. Uh, yeah, why? <laughs> thank you. I'm like, what is the word for a winemaker? Yes. It is not sommelier. No, winemaker. You're right. I was just being pretentious. Demi Moore is just one of a few celebrities chasing the bestseller list. Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporter Ronan Farrow has a book coming out October 15th titled Catch and Kill. 
The story goes that in 2017, Ronan was digging around on a routine network television story when he discovered that one of Hollywood's most powerful producers was a predator. As he continued on his story, Ronan soon realized what was going on behind the scenes. He alleges that a campaign of intimidation was launched against him. Page Six exclusively reported that a group of women went on the record with Ronan to discuss fresh claims of sexual harassment against Matt Lauer that are detailed in the book. This is not a good look for NBC. Page Six senior reporter Ollie Coleman is here to tell us more about it. Hi, Ollie. Hi. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a good look for NBC. And I'm working on a story at the moment, and I can't talk too much about specifics of it. But broadly speaking, they're discussing at high levels what to do about this Mm -hmm. book when it comes out. Right. Right. And so going back to it, basically, Ronan Farrow, before he had written the explosive Harvey Weinstein story for The New Yorker, which alleged that he had sexually assaulted women, it came out that Ronan Farrow had actually been working on that story at NBC, but then they didn't go forward with it. And there was kind of a dispute between them of why it didn't happen. Now that the book is coming out, it's going to be interesting to see how NBC covers the book. Will it be on, you know, the Today Show? And will it be covered by NBC News? You know, with impeachment happening and whatever, there's, you know, and there's no time to talk about this and everybody blows it off and, you know, whatever. But chances are they will not. And they're going to have to decide how they're going to address this thing. Um, And they're in a tricky spot because if you compare it, for example, to uh, CBS, who were the other network, big, you know, broadcast network that got really clobbered at the height of the Me Too thing, a lot of the people who were involved in that, whether directly or as senior people who were managing people who were involved directly, almost all of them are gone, right? All gone. So if that book were, for example, to be coming out about CBS, they would have a lot of leeway to say, all that's in the past. Mm-hmm. We can talk talk about this pretty openly. If you look at NBC, Lau was gone. Everybody else, you know, all the big senior people who were managers or were accused or whatever, like there's there's still that infrastructure is still very much there. One of the things we hear in terms of the Matt Lauer story is that there will be more women coming forward um, to talk about Matt Lauer and um, and that the the woman who complained to NBC, which in turn got Matt Lauer fired from NBC, is actually going to go on the record in the book and and be named and tell her story. And she was the former assistant of Meredith Vieira. Right. She was a Meredith Vieira's assistant who was once Matt's co-host on Today. And she later, I think, became a producer on the Today Show. And they allegedly had had you know, uh, r- relationship, and it's disputed of what th- this relationship was, but um, that started, I think, at the Sochi Olympics. Mm-hmm. The person who was overseeing that operation is now running The Tonight Show. So, you know, it, they're in a very difficult position. Yeah, the book also, I mean, we're hearing, so the book comes out on October 15th, and there's been a lot of speculation about what will be in the book, and we're hearing from sources about what will be in the book. So, right, so th- so this woman is supposed to come forward as one of the major sort of blockbuster revelations of the book. Right, also, I mean, a, a, another revelation is that Sochi was in 2014 and she went to NBC Chiefs in November 2017. So this is a three-year period she might be recounting this book, which is really interesting because Me Too was such kind of an onslaught so quick, but this is going on behind the scenes for three years? 
Yeah, I think also that the re- we'll learn more about what this relationship was because some sources have referred to it as an affair. Other sources say that's not characteristic of, of what happened between these two people. So, um, But one thing I've actually heard is that, as I say, there's all this buzz about what's going to be in the book, but don't expect to see any advanced copies kind of floating around or leaks um, because I've heard that the publisher is keeping this thing completely under lock and key until it's released, that they really, really don't want it out there and they want to keep it under wraps until then. So, so far there haven't been any actual leaks of the book as you know happened with Demi Moore's book. A lot of it ended up being leaked in advance before it came out. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of, it's funny thing, it really brings you back to that time, the height of the Me Too thing, when those Ronan Farrow stories were coming out, and it, they were so powerful, mm-hmm. you know, and every time one came out, people's lives, careers were, you know, being destroyed, reasonably so. Um, but he, do, do you remember, like, in the office, he took on this kind of, like, specter, like, you know, I hear the Ronans working on Oh, this yeah, thing. right, yeah. we would get yeah. tips about out the next such, Ronan... Yeah. Well, I mean, because he did he did the Harvey Weinstein story. He did the a Less Moon Vest story. Um, you know, he's worked on all these big stories. He just did this big Jeffrey Epstein at MIT thing, which is why I think that there's so much buzz about this book is that I think if it were, were another author, another journalist, you might think, okay, he had this string of big stories. So you would do just this like compendium of like his reporting. And that book would probably sell and it would you know, people would still buy it. But it being Ronan Farrow, as you say, Ollie, I don't think he's just going to come out with a book that doesn't have a lot of new details. So there are probably a lot of people on edge. Yeah, although I have to say that is an unanswered question in itself. I mean, I have also heard people, you know, maybe people who have reason to say those sorts of things, but people say, oh, he's, you know, he's got nothing. Like, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all been in the stories. Right. I've also heard, by the way, that not only the book has been under lock and key, but Ronan himself is under lock and key, apparently. I've heard that he's just basically been, because he's been writing this thing, so he's been holed up in his apartment, subsisting on um, takeout Chinese food and just writing, you know, the book. And then he's also doing... You know, he's still doing his New Yorker stories. And then he signed this three-year deal with HBO. So he's working on, like, the first documentary project. So he's very busy and keeping Chinese restaurants busy. I'm slightly disappointed that he's he's just locked up in his apartment. When you said that, I was hoping you were going to say they've got, like, an airlocked room at at Condé Nast with, you know, with guards around the door and, you know. Exactly. It's like Hannibal Lecter, but just <laughs> writing a book without, like, the mask and the scary part. Another thing, it's so crazy to think now, but, like, we've been covering this story with Ronan. Because, obviously, we were interested in Ronan when he was a very junior news reporter for MSNBC. And he had that TV show. He was hired and he had that TV show uh, that really was, by his own admission at this point, a disaster. And everyone was like, oh, come on. Like, this is, you know, Mia Farrow's kid and he's been given this show and, like, who's he? And so we were, of course, interested in all of that stuff right from the beginning, right? And um, and, and after the show tanked, he got, and, and this was a, it was a great Ian Moore story, uh, so maybe you should tell it. Well, it's true. I mean, it, 
when Ronan Farrow got a show, I mean, he had obviously, before he segued into journalism, he had had this amazing like, academic pedigree. You know, he, I think he went to like Yale Law School mm-hmm. and he has his advanced degree from like Oxford or Cambridge. But yeah, initially in his journalism career, right, he had the show, as Ali mentioned, and then the show was canceled. So Tamron Hall took over his show and on MSNBC. And Ronan, who used to be in the anchor chair, they had moved his seat, but he was still on camera behind (laughs) Tamron Hall. And he was part of this investigative reporting unit. But literally, if you watch the show, you would just see Ronan. You could just check in and just see Ronan Farrow. And he'd get up and, you know, go to lunch and, you know, come back. So he had done this item, you know, that like he went from the anchor chair to the cubicle or something like that. (laughs) Meantime, while he was sitting in that cubicle, he was working on these stories that, you know, now he's a Pulitzer Prize winner. Right. And I mean, no offense, but I'm here doing the Page Six podcast. (laughs) I mean, it's still... Great, but I mean, you know, so he's a Pulitzer Prize winner along with like Kendrick Lamar and uh, other great writers. I do remember about that story, the story about him being like sidelined. Um, that like we write some things about people sometimes that they probably don't much enjoy reading, and most for the most part, we don't feel too bad about that. But I do remember that Ronan thing was so sad that even even we were like. Oh, this is mean. Oh, we feel really bad about this. Do you remember that? I've actually blocked that out, Ollie. It's <laughs> you, a repressed you felt, memory. You felt bad. That about would come it. out under like... hypnosis. <laughs> but now, but now I feel good because it's a story of a story of a of a you know young kid who had nothing going we for should... him. Just you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> three parents basically who were all at the height of the of, of Hollywood and like, almost un- un- unlimited amounts of money who made it nonetheless. <laughs> exactly, we could sell the rights to this story maybe. Thanks for coming in, Ollie. True. Thanks, Ollie. Back in May, supermodel Miranda Kerr gave an interview to New Beauty magazine. Now, May has come and gone, but you might remember the internet is forever, and when Twitter stumbled upon Kerr's extreme devotion to wellness, they had a field day. Her routine is like goop, but on steroids. She told New Beauty magazine, I have the EMF, that's electromagnetic field, detector that picks up the waves in the air. I've had the whole house checked by a professional. We have stickers that you put on the back of your phone for radiation, she continued. She also has a button that turns all the power off, except for the fridge and security cameras in the nighttime. And she says, I also have an alkaline water filter, so I pick up the pH of our water. You don't want to be going too alkaline because you need a little stomach acid to digest your food. Now, if that's not taking wellness to the next level, I don't know what is. Well, the thing that's surprising about this, Maggie, is that she's also married to... Evan Spiegel, who's the CEO of Snapchat. So it's a little strange for the wife of a tech mogul to basically be saying that, you know, she's afraid of radiation from using phones too much, electromagnetic fields, you know, and all this technology will poison you. I mean, it's shocking that she started her career as a Victoria's Secret angel who wouldn't know a cotton blend if it hit them in the face. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of strange fabrics there that probably aren't good for you. I mean, the thing also about this story that's funny is that our uh, page six reporter Mara Siegler had noticed this. Basically, this was an interview that Miranda Kerr had given in May, as you said, Mm -hmm. to a magazine that I was unfamiliar with, Maggie, but apparently it's 
very popular in certain circles. Beauty new, circles. New beauty in beauty circles, um, which I'm not in. And it, the interview came out and people didn't really pay attention to it. But then actually, I think a New York Times writer had sort of picked up on it. And now it's been going around and it is totally ridiculous. I'm so impressionable that even when I was editing this story mm-hmm. and when I first saw her re- comments, rather than think that's ridiculous, I was like, oh my God, I am I being blasted with EMFs and I wouldn't be able to like afford to do all that stuff. But right. guys like she's able to do, you know, block all these waves. But then I was looking at the comments and then I was like, oh yeah, of course, this is all totally ridiculous mumbo jumbo. Something you can afford that she uh, talked about was mopping her floors with eucalyptus and hot sauce, which for me, I'm like, does your house just smell like the best wings ever? Koala wings? <laughs> I hope not. I don't know. It's because she's in Australia. So that's I mean, eucalyptus, eucalyptus does smell Koalas. good, but I'm like, what is this doing to the wood? Think of the wood. Totally. I think also it's like, so she has this, they live in a $12 million home mm-hmm. in, you know, Brentwood. So, but I just can't imagine. I mean, it must be like wi- wired to the max for I him. Know. And it's like, doesn't he need to be on his devices all the time? Probably he wakes up. Cause also, you know, like moguls, yeah. you always read like, it's like they, they don't sleep. Right. right. Cause it used to be like the thing was I wake up at 5.30 or five. Mm-hmm. Then it was like, I wake up at three in the morning. And now it's just like, I don't sleep. I never sleep. It's like a every life hack. major successful person. It's a life hack exactly because you got to wake up and trade on the Nikkei and work on your documentary about baby pandas. So the thing is that Evan Spiegel, though, he must wake up and then that power button is down and he's like, oh, I got to power up the whole house again. Got to churn the butter for my toast. Totally. Like. It's like something they would have had in the hatch and lost. Totally. Something else that's interesting, she talks about these EMF detectors, which are actually used by ghost hunters. I mean, like, what is like the protocol? Ghostbusters? Yeah. Like that's what there was in the But you know all those shows like oh, yeah. paranormal <laughs> yeah. activity type yeah. shows, things I cannot oh, watch because yeah. I would never go to sleep at night. But what do you do if it goes off? You're like, oh, well, let me call a priest or what's the deal there? Totally. The She's not even to know if their place is haunted now. Yeah. Um, you know, but the wellness sort of out of control wellness thing out amongst the rich and famous is pretty nuts. I mean, obviously there's, you know, Kim Kardashian and Bar Raffaele had their vampire facials where basically you take a vial of blood from your body and get it re-injected into your face. Who that happened to me that? in Brooklyn, growing up in Brooklyn all the time. I would have <laughs> blood re-injected in my face. It was from someone's fist. Um, they used to they used to yell, kill the preppy. Wow. Yeah. Um, Rihanna, Chrissy Teigen, and <laughs> Kendall spiral. Jenner do, you know, vitamin... IV drips. You know who else was spotted with the IV drip? I've got IV one drip? of those plugged in right now, though. So what? Who <laughs> I, am could I, use, I could use one of those right now, to be honest. So there were photographs of Justin Bieber walking around with an IV in his arm. And we talked to a doctor who told us, like, it's super common. Now people are just doing them when they're hungover. Like, you in... just wheel it around with you? No, he had some kind of portable situation. Oh, that's cool. But I guess, like, even in um, Vegas, we're always getting uh, pitch stories about... Go out in Vegas and then get a vitamin C drip. On The Real Housewives, Lisa Rinna has been doing it. Just like, yeah, I'm just so run down. Well, then um, Gwyneth Paltrow, of course, who kicked off a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. with Goop and claims that she invented yoga, um, you know, ha- was selling her jade eggs, right? Yeah. I just, I don't. No comment. No and comment. then Robert Downey Jr. and Charlize Theron, they do sound baths. Well, I'm just going to go outside and eat apples and hope for the best. Apples? An apple a day. Oh. Okay. 
It's time for our favorite part of the show. Let's take a look in the Page Six vault to see what ancient celebrity juicy exclusive we've uncovered from yesteryear. Let's check out a story from 2015. This one ran in our entertainment section of the New York Post. Almost three years ago, we ran a list of the five up-and-coming artists Prince wants you to hear. And who is on it but none other than a young singer by the name of Lizzo. Here's what we wrote. Local talent in Minneapolis is always of interest to Prince, and he's given the lively Lizzo plenty of love. The body-positive rapper, who releases new album Big Girl Small World in December, instantly won new fans when she appeared on the track Boy Trouble from Prince's 2014 album... Plectrum what? Electrum. Thank you. <laughs> what is this word? Plectrum You don't electrum. know how to speak Prince, Maggie. I know. I do. I'm too uncool. Okay, so is there any better endorsement? Yeah, I mean, I have to say I had first heard about Lizzo in page six as well. But I love the fact that like Prince discovered her. It's like a posthumous Prince shout out. It's awesome. And she tweeted about it and blasted out our link to all of our followers. And that's how we found it. It was like, oh, my God. Lizzo, Prince, it's an amazing connection. She wrote, I think about this article a lot, referring to our our first coverage of her. Prince co-signed me when no one else would. I remember feeling validated as an artist and finally embraced by my community. This was big. I hope he sees I worked hard to make good on his word. So I saw Lizzo in Prospect Park last weekend. And let me tell you, Prince was right because it was amazing. She was so... She has such a stage presence. It's incredible. She should be a motivational speaker. She had people losing it for her. Like women were saying things like, I'm at church. I'm at church. Like transformative full body experience. Wow. Woke up the next day, glitter everywhere in that my apartment. That sounds amazing. Well, yeah, she just had two sold out shows at Radio City Music Hall mm-hmm. and she played the show that you saw. So Maggie, also do people, because you're a big fan and you know this, but mm-hmm. does anybody call her L to the Izzo? I don't think so. No one that I've heard. Oh, well, I am. <laughs> By the way, where are those other four up and coming artists that Prince picked? I mean, I know we're giving a lot of props because he picked Lizzo, right. which is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. But some of these other ones, I don't know. We'll have to see if they pan out. There's nobody better than Lizzo in my mind right now. She's so good. All right. to the Izzo. <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode of We Here. To hear the latest We Here episodes, be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. You can find more of the hottest celebrity news and gossip by signing up for our newsletter and by visiting page6.com. We'll be back next Monday with more Page 6 exclusives. See you then.